I feel very strongly that First Night is one of the reasons contributing factor to St. Pete developing as an arts town, you know, an arts positive place, and why people come here for art. First Night brings different arts and things together. Hello and welcome to Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I'm here today with Alan Lloyd, who is a St. Petersburg fixture for many reasons, including a design career that goes back to the beginning of places like American Stage. Also, the person responsible for First Night St. Pete, in my experience, one of the most amazing first nights, if not one of the most amazing nights. Oh, um, thank you. Well, you're very welcome. Well, after, you know, it's St. Pete's 25th year and my personal 30th consecutive first night. So we've got a lot of practice. <laughs> A good dedicated team. So for someone who may not be familiar with First Night, can you give us a description of what it is and when? First Night is St. Petersburg's family-oriented New Year's Eve celebration of the arts, where we celebrate the arts, we bring the community together. People of all ages come into downtown St. Petersburg, and we give them a safe fun, creative environment, and way to ring in the new year. December 31st from 4 p.m. to midnight. So what day does first night start? October of the previous year. So... 14 months out. Ah, okay. So first night for December 31st, 2017, you started in October 2016. That's correct. What happened in October 2016? Uh, I, by that time, I want to have the artist who's creating the next year's First Night Art on board. That's really where it starts. So I like to give them time to experience First Night if they've never been, because, you know, we need to have a good sense of what the art is in May or April. In late May... I have to order the buttons in order to get them here in November. Sometimes there are sponsorships that have to be written in the fall in order to qualify for the next year, you know, because of different people's funding cycles. And so again, we're talking about fall of 2016 for first night of 2017. Right. Which, of course, is First Night 2018. It's always the year that we're going into. It's the first night of the new year. We have, And then we set a fundraising target. It's normally at least $50,000 mm-hmm. that we have to bring in the sponsorship because button sales pay for about half of the event. Then in April is when I start accepting performer artist applications. There are a lot of permits that have to be pulled, you know, so you pay to use the parks. How many parks? And checks. Uh, we've been using four. Yeah, we use Williams Park, North Straw Park, South Straw Park, and Spa Beach Park these days. And how many activities in each park? It depends. Williams Park these days has just the dance stage. Spot Beach Park has had more in previous years since we don't have a pier right now. The fireworks, since we do a fire project, we have it where people can write their resolutions and it's incorporated into some kind of sculpture somehow. And then we burn it. Mm. It's made to burn quickly and brightly. But we do it there because there's a fire truck there for the fireworks. So I don't have to pay for a second fire truck. Sure. So... You know, that's just one of many little threads that that make up the whole fabric of the event. And then there's insurance. 
there's parade permits, street closing permits, there's uh, liability insurance, there's board of directors and executives insurance, and then we also buy weather insurance. Okay, and but then you, you've got all that stuff, that, that's sort of the pipeline or the rebar or whatever, that without that pipeline, nothing else happens. But now you've got to sort of build the event mm-hmm. so that things are happening in those parks that are very positive and very wonderful experiences for the people who are attending. The parks, the churches, the community centers, the, the performing art spaces, it takes place all around downtown. How many venues? If you count them individually, it's around 20. If you look at the the brochure, it says 14. That's just because we've run out of size on the paper that we print. Mm-hmm. We just, we have to condense them. Like there's, at the First United Methodist Church, there's actually three performing spaces in there. Mm-hmm. We have the kids' activities in the fellowship hall. The sanctuary is devoted to jazz. And the side chapel is young performers. So like we have the Gibbs High School fabulous jazz group in there this year. And we've had youth singers and, and performers. So how do you how do you get this programmed and how do you get all the people to the right place at the right time. You know, we've trained them that the performances start on time at first night. And a lot of it is the fact that we have venues that we use every year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a lot of the performers are familiar with the venues. And I've got, a you know, an audio lighting technical company that are very good about getting stuff started on time. Mm-hmm. We work very closely with them and very closely with the venues. In fact, this year is a Sunday. Sunday tends to be the most difficult difficult day because a lot of the churches have church service on Sunday, which means we can't always set up on Saturday or Friday like we would like to. Or maybe we can, but we have to push it off to the side and bring it in. So everything is scheduled when the equipment goes in, when the performers show up, what time the performance is. And I know every piece of equipment that is needed by each performer and who's providing it. So do you have like a technical person or a stage manager or whatever at each one of these venues? No, we have volunteers. And we've gone and set everything up and tested it all ahead of time. And occasionally something goes wrong and you get a call on the phone or the radio and someone runs over and turns the amplifier on or switches it from one plug to another. We try and keep it simple. Anything that's a real complicated performance tends to have a paid technician who's there. Mm -hmm. Like in the jazz venue, there's someone there with a sound system. Mm -hmm. Okay, And they've set everything up and Mm -hmm. sound checked it. I'm going to take us back a little to make sure I haven't missed any steps. So you've got the performers chosen. You know your venues. You know what equipment is needed. You bring in a a lighting company that you've worked with before, a sound and lighting company. They go in in advance as much as they can, and they set up. You've, in the meantime, communicated to all the performers, and so they have their schedule, and they know where to go and when to be, when to start and when to finish. And then we've printed... 14,000 programs. We've got our buttons and we've bagged them and separated them and we've sent them out for sale and we've begun mailing all the buttons to people from Ohio or or Canada. Though this year we're not mailing overseas. We're just going to have will call for overseas purchases this year. Uh, Last year, our first buttons were purchased in Amsterdam and Argentina. Oh, wow. 
So you're very much bringing visitors into... Uh... Absolutely. There's an amazing number of languages spoken as you walk around first night. That's one of my favorite things, is just listening to the different conversations that I can't understand. So how many performances or performers, how many artists are... are... It's around 50. 50 different groups doing things. This year I have two dance companies performing. Last year I had five different dance companies. So it really depends upon the year. Right. It depends upon the budget. It depends upon the fundraising. You know, we set a budget and then our performing committee gets together and they we build a, a wish list of performers and how much it's going to cost. And then I had to go back to the board and and asked for more money, and they said, no, we haven't hit our minimum yet. So, you know, I had to go out and raise, I went and raised 10000 more dollars. And, and then all the program descriptions have to be written, right? Mm-hmm. So all that information that's in the program, I'll ask them to send me their stage plot. That's mm-hmm. the other thing we do that helps with musical groups and things. Send me a stage plot and a hookup list, which is a picture that shows where all their instruments are. There's so many and details. Sometimes you get a hookup sheet, which actually tells you which microphones go into which numbers on the soundboard. And then you can set up one band, sound check them, set up another band in front of them, but know exactly what's going to happen between the two. So it's very well coordinated because, and planned. It has to be. Right, yeah. How many how many guests, how many attendees tend to come to a first night? 20,000. A lot of people think the city puts it on for them. Ah. And we get some money from the city. We do two fireworks shows. So you, you do? Total about 15 minutes worth of fireworks. And minimal cost for fireworks is $1,000 a minute. So first night does the fireworks Absolutely. for the city of St. Pete? Yep, on New Year's Eve. Wow. That's part of the budget. And every performer gets paid something. Mm-hmm. It's one of the tenants of first night artists and performers deserve to be paid. Yes. Certainly I'm, I'm imagining it. People will will enjoy these performers, but there also must be or some... Or they'll be challenged by these performers. Okay. How do they fit together so that the experience for the audience is, is fulfilling? And, right. and talk to me about some of those thought processes well, and sometimes discussions. sometimes we put together very different performers. But it's on purpose. And oh, everything's on purpose. Right. A project years ago, you know, I saw that big tree next to the Museum of Fine Arts. The beautiful tree on the, the south side of it, the Kapok tree. And I thought, man, it'd be amazing to have a dance piece in that tree. And it took me six years to find a dance company that would do it. Mm-hmm. And then they said, oh, we've got, you know, this woman who does some kind of trapeze work, some rope work. Can we incorporate her? Absolutely. You know, so we got together and worked it out and had it all planned and rehearsed it the night before. And then that was our 10th birthday. And it started to rain at 530. And by 1030 at night, Albert went to the airport and recorded eight inches of rain. Oh my. And it didn't get, they couldn't perform it. Too much water and lightning. One year, we challenged artists to create street furniture, and there's a series of benches made, one of which still sits in the city municipal building. It's a great big long bench that used to have a little ring on the bottom of it. You know, we loved it because the money went to the artists, and we were, and they were creating their own version of a piece of street furniture. Some, like Rocky Bridges, did some that were made out of old bus doors. Someone else cut steel that then had globes of blown glass worked into it. And then just because it was fun, we made that oversized green bench that we put just put out there for people to sit on. So, you know, that's how projects get going at first night. 
what has been pretty revolutionary in Providence, Rhode Island. They were just in the midst of a terrible economic depression. And somebody came up with the idea of making some metal baskets, big metal baskets that are up on stands that are out in the river along their waterfront. And they load them up with firewood and they just, they, they light them up. Oh, wow. And they burn them. They light the whole waterfront. And it's now it draws, you know, 100,000 people. Wow. Right. And we thought, wow, that's a cool idea. It took us at least two and a half or three years to get it together. We started, of course, with the fire marshal talking about it, the idea. Once we got them on board, we put out a call for, for sculptors, for artists, to create some type of something that would burn on the water. And we had a number of wonderful proposals, and we settled on Experimental Skeleton. It's a group out of Tampa. And they created a pad of foam that was covered in fabric so the foam didn't get away. And on top of that was an eight-foot lotus flower. So they created a bunch of these that we floated out, you know, we got permission with the fire marshal and everybody. We actually did a test burn ahead of time, see how it was going to react and how the whole thing was going to work. They were set with basically a tiki torch inside and a squib to light it. And as it got dark, we lit the tiki torches so they glowed. Mm-hmm. So you could see them sitting out there. Wow. And it was just, it was pencil steel frames with muslin on it. And the muslin was dipped in wax and aniline dyes. So they were all colored. So like great big colored flowers. Sounds beautiful. Sitting out on the water. And then as it count down to midnight, we lit the flower and they burned. So whoosh! They went up like candles because they were wax right. and cotton. And they were set so that the first one opened a little bit. The second one opened further, and there was an inner set of petals, too. So oh, my the, gosh. the final one opened a full 16 feet. Boom. That's a, that sounds just amazing. Oh, it was. Like, it like was unforgettable. amazing. You know, that was one that we, we wrote a state grant through that So one. did you ever do it and again? Probably, no, because we didn't, because uh, there was an economic downturn, oh. and the grants went away. Oh. You know, a lot of the grants went, we did it twice and it was great. It was great twice, you know, and then some of the frames actually exist in my backyard, but oh, and they were given, some of them were given to different local metal sculptors to uh, repurpose into other things. So is that where the fire project started or is the fire yeah, project? It's where an artist comes up with a concept of how people can put their resolutions into a piece of art. Mm-hmm. So it probably was the year the Iraq war started where we built just big wooden frames that were stretched with twine and we had ribbons, red, white, and blue ribbons. And people were writing their resolutions on red, white, and blue ribbons, which were then woven into these and we created big American flags. So all of these are like performance art pieces, really, but they are interactive. Absolutely. That's the whole idea of First Night is that people get to play, they get to help make art. It's not static art. One time we came with the idea of a costume exchange and a bunch of us just kept hitting the Salvation Armies and stuff and just finding funky pieces of clothing. And we just took them all and put them on hangers on a rack and hung them out there and said people could come and put on costume pieces. And, and walk around first night in costume. And walk around first night in costume. And what we never expected was they all came back. Wow. All the pieces came back. Right. There were so many giant puppets. You know, first night started in Boston. And there were some people from Bread and Puppet who were there, and they were part of getting First Night going. And First Night's 
usually have a procession, some type of a people's parade. And oftentimes they have giant puppets in them. We just invited people from the public to come down. You know, we bought some materials. Are they puppets of... Like, they look like people, or they look like animals, yes. or they look like yes. anything you want them to yes. look like. and they're big, so you can wear them. Wearable puppets. They're like, back, a lot of times they're backpack puppets. And now we do them for a number of years, you know, we've been doing them with the Morgan Center for Clay. First night pays to have them, have them made there. And in the past, we've had the puppets where people could come and just wear them around. Like the costumes. Right, yeah. In fact, remember one time when... People were headed home with the puppet on. Anything really special like that prepared for 2018? Of course. Kids have built more giant sea creature puppets. Okay. You know, and we'll have a, a wonderful drum line to be part of that procession. The puppet procession, giant sea creature puppet procession that will go from the First United Methodist Church down to the waterfront. And they end right by the bubble stop. And the bubble stop is where we buy three very large rolls of bubble wrap, 750 feet of bubble wrap. And then we tape it down into a big rectangle and we have music and an announcer. The last year they couldn't hold the kids back. And we said, go and let all the little people out there and they stomp them. And it lasts about seven minutes till it starts to come apart. And yeah. then we shoo everybody off and we roll it up. There was hundreds and hundreds of kids. And, and trying to keep the adults off. We've had artists come and teach a bubble stomp dance before, you know, special oh, nice. dance to do it, you know. Or we've had a rowdies player, you know, lead the procession and then come down. It's really kind of whatever we can think up that's fun. So it's really a very interactive, very community-oriented, and I'm just thinking of, of a community really coming together. You know, everybody has to know each other, and everybody really has to trust each other and kind of get on board to make this thing happen. Pretty powerful community connection there. Right. Well, I mean, when we first started doing First Night here 25 years ago, of course, it was pretty small the first year. It may have been five or six venues, a couple things in the park. One of the major complaints was there's no place to eat. There really weren't any restaurants open in downtown at that point. So we started putting food vendors in the park. And, you know, the, the arts community was, was, was definitely a lot smaller. And after the first couple of years, the artists were like, you guys really are doing something fun here, and, and you are arts positive. And so I feel very strongly that First Night is one of the reasons, contributing factor to, to St. Pete developing as an arts town, you know, an arts positive place. And why people come here for arts. It's, again, our whole community has come together, and First Night brings different different arts and things together and I think that was part of, of laying the seed that has built a lot of the, the collaboration that goes on between artists and organizations in this area. What's so really lovely sitting here talking to you is how excited and energized and enthusiastic you are about this because you've been doing it a really long time. And 30 years. 30 years, all that work, and you are passionate and committed and fully engaged. You know, I still like getting different arts groups together. I mean, there's always projects in my head that, that I'd love to try. And, you know, this is a form for that. And, you well, know, anybody that, that, that comes through and, and puts together a project and then you have 700 people that come down and they want to participate in what you're doing and... and 
no matter how hard you've worked to, to get it together, there's a lot of satisfaction in that for any artist or performer. You know. Well, and that's what I wanted to talk about collaboration a little bit, because we've spent most of the time talking about first night, but you do a lot of collaboration around set design. You recently did the really wonderful set design for Sheila Cowley's Flying, that in addition to being a a challenge, of course, as set design always is, to tell the story physically and visually, you had to move it from one location to another very quickly and have it work out in both environments. And there is a rumor that you actually built it in your backyard. Yeah, I did. I built it in my my home studio. You know, I, of course, I designed it on my computer, sold the concept, sold the budget to the producer. It was too big to be set up inside the studio. So I set it up in the backyard and clamped it to my porch <laughs> and painted it. And when I read the script... I had great ideas. Yeah. And when you have great ideas and you really like the writing that much. And then my father was a pilot. My father was a Navy pilot. I've flown in little planes with him most of my life. So I like aviation. And, you know, I think that set, at least as somebody in the audience for that play, was a true example of of a collaboration between a set designer and a writer and a producer and a director because it was very... You have to throw... In this instance, you really have to throw the cast in too because we needed very specific look period pieces of furniture costume pieces set pieces we were looking for period radios we were looking for we were looking for that army or government issue steel furniture of the time period mm-hmm. and some of it we couldn't find we just couldn't. But everybody on the production, I mean, some of those set pieces came from the cast, mm. okay? Actors came in and said, I've got something that looks cool. Are you interested? I said, well, take a picture and email it to me and the director, you know? And so there have been just amazing collaborations. You know, I've worked with, I worked with St. Petersburg Opera on Don Giovanni in 2008. And the director, the producer, said this is kind of a, a political thing. You know, it's always been it's been traditionally. I'd like to try doing it in Washington. Let's set it in Washington, D.C., contemporary, you know. And I thought about that one a lot. I ended up presenting an idea of doing it kind of on a set that basically looked kind of like the Lincoln Memorial. Mm-hmm with a, a deconstructed chair mm-hmm. that the, the main character ends up in that chair. The mm. ghost ends up in that chair, you know. And again, when you start with something like that, you really have to have all the collaborators fired up about it, right. you know, in order to pull off something like that. You know, I've also done things for groups like the Dali Museum. It took me somewhat out of my comfort zone. You know, I'm, I'm not really that much of a scenic painter, but the Dali Museum, they wanted a, a photo opportunity. So they basically wanted a Dali painting that people could put their faces in and get their picture taken. And I did archaeological reminisce of Malay's Angeles. Oh, wow. So I did it six feet tall, and I recreated the painting just in in house paint, you know, and then cut the heads out of Mm -hmm. it. They were building some of the the early condos downtown St. Pete. There was a bunch of molding that was left over they'd thrown out on the sidewalk, and I brought some of it home, and it made a perfect frame for it. 
Oh, so wow. I cut it into a big picture frame. And that was around for a while. They used it in their parade. I helped them coordinate the parade from the old museum to the new. And they had so much fun with that. Then I went on to create two four-foot by six-foot puzzles. I did two giant puzzles for kids to put together. You know, I painted them again with house paint. You know, I just played around with it till I got it looking right and cut it up <laughs> and mm. put finish on it. So any collaboration you would love to have, you know, either with people or an idea? like. Well, let me talk about one that, that we did in 2007. There was a time when there was a, not that there isn't now, the homeless issue had come to the forefront here in St. Petersburg. There had been a very unfortunate incident of a, a homeless advocacy organization had given a lot of the homeless people tents giving them tents to protect them from the weather. And some official went out with it and cut them up. Mm -hmm. And that was just created an uproar. And a number of local artists and myself got together and we did an installation over a long weekend in Williams Park called Project Home with different art created around the concept of home. And, you know, it was shown, some of the pieces were shown in different places. You know, it, it got a little momentum and moved around a little bit. It was our statement on the issue of the day, right? So back to my question, though, and, you know... What collaboration would I want to do? What would you, if you could do anything, if you could work with anybody, or what's still there that you would love to see happen? Well, that's the thing about, that's just so wonderful about the way my life and career has worked is that, that people come to me with ideas. Right. You know, people come to me and ask me. Well, I like what you said. If it gives you good ideas, then you want to do it. Right, yeah. I also do the St. Petersburg Science Festival. I'm the house manager for American Stage in the Park. They've been around 40 years. Yeah. And I was their very first intern in 1983. Uh, so I've been involved on and off. Lighting designer, sound designer, technical director, production manager, prop designer, prop builder. Your contribution to the community is pretty impressive. Well, Alan Lloyd, thank you so much for participating with us. Well, thank you, Barbara. It was really a pleasure. And Sheila, our engineer, thank you. And you can find out lots about it on our website, firstnightstpete.com. This is Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, also known as AI, the Creative Pinellas Podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.